Hello, and welcome to your next episode of Fixing Fitness with Kelly, the show that serves up real talk about fitness with a focus on why traditional fitspo just doesn't serve women in their 30s. Let's talk about what we can really do to get results that make all the effort worth it. Get more on the website at kellymarieroach.com, including exclusive access to my head-to-toe mobility routine when you download my free guide to the five worst exercise cues in the fitness industry. And tune into the Kelly M. Roach YouTube channel for weekly videos offering fresh perspectives on fixing fitness topics. What's up, you guys? So last week, I actually had a really good time talking more about the physical aspects of fitness in our late 30s. And so I really wanted to take the opportunity to continue that conversation this week, potentially with a little bit more specificity. Um, And I'm still going to be talking as well about softer aspects of fitness, things that are not necessarily the physical element, because we spend a lot of time on that early in season one of the podcast. And I do think it's extremely important the mental and emotional aspects of your overall fitness and well-being all come into play and do have really strong and important impacts on the physical side of fitness. So to that end, I've got three topics for us to discuss today about big things to consider when you're fighting the inevitable desk bod, or not so inevitable as this podcast is trying to drive that point home. So the three topics we're going to be discussing today, the things that we need to start considering is number one, our posterior chain, top to bottom and side to side. The second thing is mental and emotional fatigue and how these kill your motivation to be up and moving during non-working hours. And third, asserting yourself when it comes to social plans. So without further ado, let's get into Season 1, Episode 9. Most of us in Club 35 Plus are starting to notice the long-term effects of sitting behind a desk eight hours a day, combined with what is probably a generally sedentary lifestyle outside the time we dedicate to exercise. We've started mixing up our workouts and changing our diets, maybe even dramatically, to combat desk bod and return to our 20-something physiques. If you're toiling away at your workouts and not seeing the results you want, muscle order recruitment could be a primary issue for you, which I talked about in last week's episode. But this week, I want to talk about three other big things to consider. These are things that I've taken note of in my own life recently, and as always with this channel, the goal is to bring you insights that I think are overlooked by the fitness community, often in favor of quick fix ideas and Fitspo-friendly posts. But these three things have been huge for me and have helped me find a different way to approach fitness in my late 30s because, quite frankly, they aren't things I needed to worry about 10 years ago. The first big thing to consider is your entire posterior chain. For women especially, there's very little emphasis on training the back. We're taught to worry about our glutes, our bellies, and our thighs, and to fear training our back muscles so we don't look too masculine. When I trained for my brief stint doing bikini competitions, I felt the same way. But training my back muscles properly for the first time in my life was game-changing. For the first time, I realized that training my back was actually more effective and had a greater impact on the shape of my torso than training my abs ever did. Low back and lat exercises took care of my love handles. Rhomboid and rear delt work helped my posture. And remember that the trunk muscles in your back make up the posterior half of the all-important core. 
Strengthening my back meant strengthening my core as a whole, which made abdominal exercises easier and more effective. You'd be shocked at the impact this has on your day-to-day life as well. Since most desk workers suffer from some of the muscular adaptations we talked about last week, simple motions that your back would usually be responsible for are actually being performed by dominant helper muscles like the traps, shoulders, and even pecs. For instance, bending at the waist to pull out a heavy freezer drawer used to be too much for my back muscles, so I would feel it up in my traps. Likewise, mopping our floors or pulling a vacuum cleaner. But the more I've worked to strengthen my back and increase the range of motion in those muscles, the stronger I feel doing day-to-day stuff like that and the less fatigued I get doing it. Let's touch on range of motion for a second. So here specifically, I'm talking about the range of motion you have in your lats when you raise your arm up over your head like you're raising your hand in class. If you have weakened lats, teres, and rear delts like I do, the lats are overtaken by the trapezius muscle as you inch your hand skyward. Your scapula is also likely to flare out and your arm come forward instead of staying about even with your ear as though you're doing an overhead press. There are some great drills that you can run to reestablish the mind-muscle connection with your lats and work toward increasing this range of motion. And that means working to get your hand further in the air before your traps take over the movement. Again, this kind of thing has massive impact on your posture, your workouts, and your day-to-day activities. The bottom line is that the entire posterior chain, not just your glutes, has a massive role to play in your overall fitness. Desk workers have to work twice as hard since the posterior chain group for us suffers from disuse, and women in particular need to overcome the misinformation about strengthening the muscles of their upper body. The second big thing we need to consider is mental and emotional fatigue, because these are killers when it comes to staying motivated to be up and moving during non-working hours. And to be clear, I'm talking about something deeper than just a busy day at the office. And to that end, a story. There was a man my mother used to work with who went about his day more or less like the rest of us do, griping and commiserating when the possibility arose, biting his tongue at stupid management decisions going home exhausted at the end of the day and grabbing a nap or turning on the TV to unwind. He'd been doing it for so long that he was even on an aspirin regimen for his heart. Now, another man that they both had worked with for a long time was a hobby carpenter. He did beautiful woodwork and his friends started commissioning him for projects. After a while, the work grew to the point where he didn't have time for his day job anymore, so he left the company. And eventually, the woodworking business was booming to the point where he needed some extra help. And it happened that the gentleman on the aspirin regime was also an established craftsman, so he helped out in his spare time. And as these things often happen, spare time turned into part-time, and eventually the woodworking business needed him full-time on payroll. So he made the decision to leave the company that my mom worked at, and he took up carpentry full-time. My mom ran into him a few months later and said he was a different person. He was happy and energized. He told her that instead of going home exhausted at the end of the day, he went home and found new projects to do around the house. No more end-of-day naps or collapsing in front of the TV, and perhaps best of all, he no longer needed the aspirin regime for his heart. I was still early in my career when my mom told me this story, but even then it resonated with me. People are literally working themselves sick. 
If your job is draining you mentally and emotionally to the point where you're going home and just dragging yourself through your evening to get ready for the next workday, that is a problem. If you have no energy left for your own life, that's a problem. And if it's reaching a point where you have real physical ailments because of it, that's a problem too. Where in the midst of all that are you supposed to be prioritizing your fitness? Now, I'm not saying that we should all go out and quit our jobs, but for me, it is certainly worth an assessment of what all I'm currently sacrificing and willing to sacrifice for an employer. All jobs come with their share of stress, but if the mental and emotional drain is so chronic that it's having a significant impact outside of work, then maybe you're in the wrong line of work. That isn't to say we all need to be entrepreneurs or find ways to work for ourselves if that's not your thing, but I've known people who have made dramatic career pivots to their benefit. One friend has gone from industry research and development to higher level education to, most recently, sales. Another that I know went from legal work to fitness training to painting. Some people are fortunate enough to earn their primary living from doing the thing that lights them up the most. But even if you can't do that, you should prioritize putting yourself into a line of work that isn't making you sick. I've said it before, exhaustion and lack of time are two of the biggest reasons people give for not prioritizing their fitness. And I get it. I see it. And I know it seems like a huge hurdle to have to literally change your lifestyle to prioritize your fitness. But 30 years from now, what do you think you'll be more grateful for? that you stuck it out for the sake of the grind, or that you made a change to sustain your health in the long run. And the third big consideration when you're doing your best to combat the onset of desk bod is your social plans, specifically asserting yourself and your healthy lifestyle into them. So recently I've been exploring my diet, looking for cues about how certain foods make me feel. And I've looked back over the bullet journals that I've kept for the last eight years or so to see what notes I took back then about what foods I was eating and how they used to make me feel. And one thing I noticed specifically was that anytime there was a special occasion, whatever I ate that day was wildly different from my usual diet. And more often than not, I made a note about how it made me feel poorly, whether that meant belly bloat, indigestion, poor sleep, or general sluggishness. And within a couple of days of returning to my usual diet, my system would clear and I would feel better. What bothers me about this is how clear it was that the foods I was agreeing to eat for special occasions like birthdays and girls' nights, etc. were absolutely not what I would have been eating given the choice. Of course, the problem with that is that we always have a choice, but admittedly, it seems less so when it comes to social situations. Because social situations invariably come with a set of social pressures and conventions. On a birthday, you go out to dinner and eat cake. On girls' night, you stuff up on cheese, salted meats, and wine. On Father's Day, you eat steak. And to show up at the birthday party with a sugar-free cake, or suggest a group hike instead of a charcuterie board, or a vegetarian pizza instead of grilled meat can be uncomfortable. We go along to get along. Let's just call it what it is. And yet when I look at my own records, going along to get along means deviating from my healthy choices. Not my weight loss, vanity-driven diet choices, mind you, 
but the choice that I make so that my body feels good, energized, and well-rested. I've rarely been brave enough to assert my healthy choices in social situations. I do have one friend who is absolutely fearless about it. She doesn't live in town, and a few years ago when she was nearby to visit family, we tried to squeeze in some plans. I suggested brunch, and her response was, how about a workout? Think about how many of your friends would prefer to do a workout with you over sitting and sipping and gossiping for a few hours. Not many, right? Maybe not even you. It's a tough spot to be in because what are your choices, really? Make all new friends that only enjoy fitness? Turn down social invitations that you know are going to leave you feeling worse afterward? But if we take a step back for a second and lift this conversation out of the context of fitness and healthy lifestyle choices, let me ask that question again from a big picture point of view. Should you turn down social invitations that you know are going to leave you feeling worse afterward? The answer seems a little clearer now, doesn't it? So what this really comes down to is showing up for yourself and respecting your own boundaries and commitment to feeling your best. If you have friends that can't find common ground with you and only ever want to do boozy brunches or nights out drinking, it's possible that those friendships will slowly fade. But it's also possible that your healthy leadership could rub off. A group hike is a pretty low hurdle to clear, especially since we all know that hiking is just walking in nature. Even people who aren't outdoorsy types can get on board for that in nice weather. And what about resurrecting the dinner party? Getting together to cook at home, even if it's not your typical fare, is still bound to be healthier and cheaper than what you'd order out at a restaurant. Imagine the effect it would have on your body if for one year you replaced all the social engagements that derail you from your health and fitness priorities with get-togethers that supported those priorities instead. How much desk bod accumulation could you combat? If you think about the number of times in the past few years that you haven't done that and the way going along to get along has impacted you, it might give you some idea. This is a new way to think about fitness. It's more than just exercise and the time you spend working out. It's more than just weight loss and aesthetics. It's about more than making sure you're getting enough movement in. It's about strengthening your body with specific attention to what's been happening to it during all your years behind a desk. It's about paying attention to what's going on with you mentally and emotionally and how that's impacting your ability to pursue your lifestyle goals. It's the big picture and how we leverage all the different parts of your life to support your health, strength, and longevity. So that's what I have for you guys in episode nine this week, still continuing on this path of finding new ways to think about fitness and specifically, as I said, focusing on what has been happening to our body over the last 10 to 15 years while we haven't been paying attention. Bringing that into the spotlight a little bit more, I think, is going to offer a lot of insights as to why workouts that you have been grinding away at for the last 10 years haven't been as effective as you might have hoped. It's not all down to just cutting your calories. It's not all down to working harder, training longer, trying every new workout or diet trend that hits social media. 
there's so much more to your physical fitness than just those things. And I'm hoping that today's podcast episode gave you guys a lot more to think about. So thank you so much for tuning in. Don't forget to come and find me on Instagram at Fixing Fitness with Kelly. If you could leave a comment or a rating for this for the podcast, that would be excellent as well. It helps us get the podcast out to more people and grow the community. And a special thank you this week to my listeners because just this past weekend, we hit 100 downloads of Fixing Fitness with Kelly. So thank you again so much. It means the world to me to be with you guys for these episodes once a week. Stay tuned and I will be back with a new topic for you guys next week. Bye-bye.